I just love surprises. There's nothing better than knocking the socks off of someone, whether it's a prank. My husband pulled a great one on my dad last week. I'll tell you about it sometime. Pull me over. I'll tell you it was hilarious. Um, or if it's, if it's something on a much grander scale. For example, last year was a momentous year in the Thompson household. Um, as some of you know, Colin and I both turned 50. And unbeknownst to him, we had this conversation about what we were going to do, and we decided we wanted to take a trip with some friends, and that was going to be our gift to each other. But unbeknownst to him, for at least two years prior to this, um, I had been plotting and planning how um, I would surprise him on his 50th birthday. So nothing was going to stop that. And he had absolutely no idea what was coming, and it was more fun than anything I've ever done. So I've actually got some pictures from that day. I want you to see his face. Um, he pulled up in a vehicle. My, my daughter and her boyfriend were driving, and um, he had been blindfolded. They stopped because we couldn't hide all these cars. So they had stopped at this little general store, and she said, Dad, i got to get out and get something for Mom. It was no surprise that that would happen. So she gets out of the car, and instead she comes and she got those airplane, you know, those airplane things that you put over your eyes when you're on a real long flight. She walks around, she goes, well, that's not really true. I want you to put these on, and you need to get out, and John's going to drive, and Mom has a surprise for you. And um, this was at Lake Texoma. And so he's thinking... Um, Hmm. And we had been talking a lot about, it. we have this, um, it's a family place, and it's been in his family for many, many years. And it's very difficult to get, there's a big sandy beach, believe it or not. It's really hard to get up and down. And he was like, all of a sudden he starts talking about the tractor. Because I'm always, we're always looking at like old tractors that the farmers down there have, you know, left aside. Because they have these giant wheels, and they're really good for going to the beach and back. And, and cart and stuff. So he was like, I can't believe your mom got me this tractor. Well, it wasn't a tractor, but that's what he thought. So he gets out of the car and right there in the bottom slide, I'm actually saying to him, so what do you think this is? He goes, I can't believe you got a tractor. And of course, all these people are standing there and it's so classic. So next, go to the next ones. And so literally as we look at the top slide, after the blindfold came off and all these people are saying, surprise, he, he just stood there. It was such a, and he literally, there's a picture that's not there, but he literally went to his knees. He just stood there for a moment like, I got to get my breath. I can't even believe this. And we had people from all over, friends from as far away as Boston that had come. It was so sweet. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life because of how I had knocked his socks off. No earthly idea. And isn't that just a great way to be? And as I read Matthew 28, I couldn't help but think about the women who walked to the tomb the morning of the resurrection. They went that morning, you see, expecting something different than they got. He he thought he had a tractor. They thought they were coming to a dead body, and it was nothing like what they thought. It was shock and surprise, no question. And so this morning, turn with me, if you got your Bible, to Matthew 28, and we're going to look at um, really just uh, this story anew, I hope through fresh eyes. And as we reflect on the resurrection, I want to just say, if you leave here today with nothing less 
um, about the resurrection than this, here's what I want you to remember. Just when you think it's over, and fill in the blank what it is, I don't care, your marriage, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your child, your financial future, your health, just when you think it's over. It's not. And so I couldn't help but borrow from the most creative person I know at Watermark, who's Todd Wagner. And um, he actually used this as a title for a video. So to get us started, watch with me very quickly this video put together called It Ain't Over Till It's Over. So what's extra sweet about that story, unbeknownst to me, I can actually say um, last night Russell Lilly was sitting in my living room. I haven't seen him in a while. He happens to be Kyle's cousin. And not long after his divorce, he sat in our living room and received Jesus Christ. And his life has never been the same. And his family's life. And he has two boys that would never miss a day of Watermark. And he sat and told us how exciting for them to come to the wake. So it ain't over when you think it is. Um, And it's not over this morning. So we're going to look at three aspects this morning. We're going to look at caught by surprise, and that's what the women were. We're going to look at the control of the damage, and that's what the um, chief priest and the elders did. And then we're going to look at compelled to tell, and that's what the disciples were told to do. So it's mind-boggling as you open this passage, and this one as every other one in the Gospels to read in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. And then the story ensues. What's so incredible about this is that the Bible would use women as a first people to witness the resurrection. And the reason why that is so critical, you have to go back and understand actually the ancient Middle East. And really, if you know much about the Middle East today, it's really not that different today for women. But in the ancient Far East, a woman's testimony would never be admissible in court. Women weren't considered, I don't know whether it was trustworthy or what, and they just, they just weren't worth enough to be a valid witness in a Jewish, or for that matter, ancient court. It wouldn't be admissible. So do you see how incredible and awesome it is that not once, not twice, not three times, but in all four Gospels, God chose to say, I'm going to take that which you think is nothing and a castaway, and it is going to be the very thing that testifies to my resurrection. So here these women come um, to the tomb, and what do they think? They come expecting, thinking that he's dead. So were they caught by surprise? Absolutely. They walked to the grave, um, and even though he had taught them that he would die, be buried, and resurrected, they still came expecting fully to find a body in the grave. How shocking to find the earthquake. I love those, the rumbling in that video because you could actually feel it in this room, so that was awesome, that you could actually feel and experience the breaking free the bonds of death in, in this case. So here they are, these women that come um, to the tomb and find it empty. Now, this shouldn't really have surprised them because it wouldn't have been the first time in their goings-on with Jesus that they had witnessed resurrection. This resurrection isn't the first one. you got to go back and remember. What we see is um, that they'd seen resurrection already. There'd been the resurrection of the young girl. There'd been the centurion slave, and there'd even been Lazarus, who had been in the tomb wouldn't you know it? Three days when Jesus raised him. So they had seen it before. What was different? 
Was it because Jesus had been alive and performed that miracle as the Son of God? It must be different when you do it for someone else, but surely you can't do it for yourself. I think that's what they were thinking is, yeah, he did that for somebody else, but now he's the dead one. Who's going to do it for him? That misunderstanding of who God is, three in one. And so then they hear when they get there that he's alive. Imagine their shock at finding the stone gone, not so that (coughs) Jesus could get out. (coughs) I took too deep a breath. I went down the wrong side. (coughs) Sorry, hold on. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that they could get in and see what had happened. And here's this angel sitting there with, thank you, (coughs) looking like lightning. Thank you, Courtney. (coughs) I'm sorry. (coughs) So sorry. So the sight must have been so awesome to behold that it struck the guards in fear so that they swooned. Whatever that means, as you look it up, you see lots of things. They fainted, they, I don't know what, but the fear was so great. They, it, have you ever had that feeling of like you can't speak, you can't move, like so fearful? I think that's it. So fearful, they couldn't speak, they couldn't move. And so surely the women were fearful as well. And that's the first news that they hear. And isn't that great? I love this quote by Catherine Marshall about fear. In almost every example of God breaking into life on this earth, the opening words are, fear not. Have no fear. I am with you. And isn't that great? That's exactly what these women hear. The angel told them to remember what he told you, Jesus. So how great. That's a great piece of news for us. That's what we've asked you to do today. Go back and remember what's God been doing this year. Go back, remember what Jesus told you. Then come and see what he's done. And he leads them in and he goes, look at this. Here are the grave clothes, literally like the body was pulled out of them. I mean, they're right in place. You can see the image of the body in them and yet there's nothing there. Imagine seeing that and just trying to grasp it in your mind. That's what they're seeing. Don't you know these first-person witnesses spent the rest of their life recalling this story to their friends and family? I know. I couldn't believe it myself, but this is how it was. It's like one of those things that happens, and you people just can't believe it happened. And you keep like, I know. I know. I can't believe it either. I'm sure that's what these women did. And so... They go to do exactly what the angel commands them. And as they go about the business that they had been commanded to do, what happens? But they actually see Jesus. They meet him. And I love that because it's just such a great testimony that as we go about doing what he's asked us to do, he comes to us no matter where we are. That's what he did. And then he commands them to go do the very same thing the angel. He repeats it because, again, sometimes in the thrill of excitement, you forget what's being said and what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus says again, go tell my brothers. The first person account really just begs the question, I think, of of our own first person experiences. In the paper this morning, there is an article running down the sidebar, I think it's of the metro section, I didn't look really well, about JFK. 
And apparently one of the um, witnesses, uh, first-hand witnesses, has recently passed away. And so they were just, the article is all about, as we lose those people, we'll only be able to reminisce through newspaper articles, et cetera, et cetera, because the first-person account will, will be gone. But how many of you can remember, this is only to the older people in the room, where you were on the day JFK was shot? I remember, I can remember coming home and my mother sobbing on the couch, sobbing. Some of you are too young to remember that, so let me give you another one. Where were you on 9-11? I am certain you remember with instant clarity where you were when you first heard those no the news that the Twin Towers had been, had been uh, struck and were falling. That's, these are such pivotal moments in history. That's exactly like what this was. They're so critical that we never forget just like these women. And I guarantee you, their testimony rang true to all that they came to. And it just reminds us that in Acts 2, 24, as the early church began, it could be recalled again. But God raised him up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death, that is. The resurrection of Christ is so critical to us and to our lives that we, like the women who had the first-person account, need to tell our stories you see, you weren't there at the tomb that day, but you've met Jesus. If you know him personally as your Savior, you have a testimony story. It's your story. It's your personal story. And no one can dispute that story. That's the great thing about a testimony. No one can argue with what Jesus did for you. There's an old, old Bill Gaither hymn called He Lives. And one of the last verses of that, um, he walks with me, he talks with me along life's merry way. And then it says, you ask me how I know he lives. Because apparently the writer was someone who'd been trying to tell people, well, he lives, he's alive. You ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. Now that's a story nobody can argue with. So how has Christ been living in your heart? And who have you shared it with lately? And that takes us to the second thing we're going to look at this morning, which is control of the damage. And that's something that the officials, the chief priests and the elders, had to do with this resurrection story. In the science world, there's a way folks react to an idea that's been held for a very long time. When it comes under attack, there's a certain way they react. Take Copernicus. In the early 1500s, he argued that the Earth and its planets go around the sun rather than, as had commonly been held up to that point, the other way around. This idea was so revolutionary that it took another century of research by folks like Kepler, Galileo, Newton, before it was accepted. So up to that time, people, people formulated all kinds of arguments. They did everything they could rather than admit what they thought all along was wrong. Well, that's exactly what the chief priests and elders do. Rather than, and the, they should have known it better than anyone. Here Jesus was. I gave you those handouts a few weeks ago about all the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. They should have known better than anyone else. This is, he is who he says he is. All the way down to the 30 pieces of silver, all the way down to the parcel of land that was purchased for the burial. They should have gotten it. But rather than admit, we missed it. We were wrong. They instead now say, ah, we've got to cover this up. And so, with bribery and money, they set out to do so. The Roman guards ran to the Jewish officials, which is interesting because they were Roman guards, and you would think they would go to the people that they reported to. But instead, um, 
they go straight to the Jewish officials. Perhaps because in Roman law, if you don't uphold your duty, it meant instant death. They called it dereliction of duty. And, it, and these young men, I'm sure they were young, would have paid with their lives had they've gone to the Roman officials. Because you see, the body had been stolen. And that was exactly the job that they had been given to do. And yet, they hadn't done it. And so rather than go to their authorities, they go to the Jewish officials, hoping that there's a way to work this out. And that is all the more the absurdity of the story that the body was stolen. Really? Let's look at some other things. So what did the officials do? Well, they had paid off Judas with silver to betray Jesus in the first place. Now they're paying off these guys. And I guarantee you that wasn't the end of the story because these guys reported to Roman officials. They am certain had to go to the Roman officials and pay them off to co collaborate the story that had been hatched right here. And that's exactly what they do. They concoct a story that, that is set about to deceive others. They pay them off. They um, actually pay them off for the very thing that they had hired them in the first place to keep from happening. And now they're paying them off to say it, it happened. Isn't that crazy? It's just such unsound logic. If the body of Jesus had been stolen, really there's only two groups of people it could have been stolen by. One would be his friends, his disciples. Okay, well now let's think about that. What does scripture tell us? Where were his disciples at this time? Um, hiding in a locked room, scared for their life, ran. They all ran in the courtyard when the whole thing started unfolding. It sure wasn't them. They were nowhere to be seen. Then that would leave his enemies. The chief priests, the elders, the Romans, I don't know. It would leave those people. And if those people had stolen the body, then why wouldn't they produce it to say, to silence all those that were saying he's alive? Why wouldn't they have said, no, he's not. He's right here. Dead body. See? Right here. They could never do that because there was no body. Wow. We should be prepared, ladies, to understand these theories of the resurrection because people have them. We should understand them. We should know them. And there's a great resource to do so. There's a great little book called The Case for Easter. I sat down and read it in an afternoon by Lee Strobel. He was a journalist who was an atheist. His wife became a believer. And just to shut her up, he was like, I'm going to do some research. And I'll be darned if he said, I, you can't dispute all the historical facts that stand up to the fact that the resurrection was an actual thing that took place. You can't dispute it. And that is such a great thing that we need to always be prepared. This verse from 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared, ladies, to make a defense to anyone who calls you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. I love that Mark Twain said, a lie could go around the world while truth is lacing up her boots. And what he meant is that people are very quick to believe lies. And the sad thing about this is that verse right here that says that many Jews believe it to this day, this little story that was concocted. And that's a very, very sad fact of the matter. But I encourage you to read up. No, so you can talk to your Jewish friends as well as other friends who say, I just don't believe that whole resurrection thing. And then I, we've got a chart here I want to show you. And go, I encourage you to go to the website because I don't have time to go through it. But there's a chart of all the appearances, 12 at least, that Jesus made to people after he was resurrected in his resurrection body. He appeared to as many as 500 people. And it's all documented right here by historical fact. So take the time to read that and look at it. And that takes us to the last thing, that we're all compelled, just like the disciples in this first century story, to tell others. 
it's interesting that some believed, we're told here in these verses, um, I'm going to have you read with me now in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Let's talk about that. You see, it's, it's really the same today. Some believed and others doubted. That's, that's just no different. It, just, it shouldn't surprise us at all that there were doubters among this crowd. Um, and yet, the great news is, doubts should never discourage us as a believer. I'm sure you've had some at some point in your faith walk if you've been a believer for very long. And that's the great thing. Sin shouldn't discourage us. Failure shouldn't discourage us. Nor should doubt discourage us. Because God is big enough for all of that. It's part of the growth of healthy things. So when you doubt or encounter people who are doubting, then do these things. Send them right back to Scripture. Study the scripture where it will show you. Pray for wisdom to be enlightened. That, that I love those verses in Ephesians. That the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know the truth to which you've been called. I mean, use that. Pray for enlightenment of your heart if you are doubting. And then seek counsel. Talk to other believers who are further on the road. Widen your circle. We talk about it all the time. Get your community involved. And by golly, if you don't have community, get it so others can help you on this journey. God gave you a mind to discover truth, so get after it. And know that really we're all commissioned. And that's what he left us here with in this very last passage. It's a thing that is known as the Great Commission. Well, I don't really think it was any greater than any of the other commands that Jesus gave, but why then do we call it the Great Commission? I think we call it that because it's great in that it's intended for every one of us. So if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm just not the evangelism type, I'm really not called, that's not my gift, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm all. All authority has been given, Jesus says, and then he tells all of us what to do. If you believe in Jesus, this is truth is for you too. You are commanded to tell the hope that is within you. You're commissioned, and that's the great thing. The Greek word for go in this, there really is only one command in this passage. People call it a command. There's one command and a lot of other things. The word go is actually present participle, meaning it's, it's, it's happening, I-N-G. It really means going. So really what Jesus is trying to say here is that while you are going about your life, while you are going on, you should be making disciples. In other words, it's not something you do once and for all. It's not something that someone else does. We all all are in, and, and that's what our, we, we talk about that with missions. We're all on a mission. We are all going about making disciples. That's what, what we're all called to do. And I love in Acts, in the early church, what it began to look like. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Ah, but some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Wow, that's that's a call to all of us, and it's something that should never, never cease to amaze us. So I want you to watch this um, last video as we listen to the words of this song. Um, stand amazed at what God has done. It does still amaze me. Did you see yourself 
I did. I'm one of those people, and I am amazed every day at what Jesus did for me. And it's so great that we should stand and shout, really. I mean, we should be clapping and standing to our feet at what he did for us. 